Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me real estate attorney and author of a new real estate book called The 10 Strategies to Purchase Property Post-Pandemic. Wow, that's a lot of alliteration there, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I wanted to see if you could say um, a very tongue twister. So we're going to practice together. We're going to do something like um, kind of woodchuck chuck with a woodchuck chucks, right? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck woodchuck chuck, chuck wood? <laughs> Let me, you know, you, I, I noticed that, uh, well, I didn't notice she's on the front cover is your wife, Lauren, is a co-author. So uh, is that a case of where the, you know, behind every great man is a, you know, great woman, or is it the other way around behind every great woman? Well, I think we're side by side on the back. So we don't like to have before or behind because we've learned that um, that's not the best idea when you want to stay married. So I, I would put my wife in front, but then she gets a big head and there's rules and all. So she needs to know we're side by side. So everything's a team. Fantastic. I like that idea. It's, it's, it's good yeah, yeah. philosophy. Also, it's great that maybe she'd be a marital counselor. <laughs> don't put me there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so what what prompted you to want to write the book? Well, let's go back to what was happening about a year and a half ago when we were getting everyone had to work from home and the world was closed and we had this pandemic coming over from China and we didn't know what it was or what was going on and we didn't know what the future was. There was two main motivators, John. Number one was that we knew that this pandemic was going to be a great disruptor in real estate, which gave us a opportunity to write a book. And more so, we had something to say. We had something to say because we've been reading books about real estate investing our whole life. We love Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Kiyosaki. We love real estate investing. But every time we finished reading a book on real estate investing, John, we'd say, okay, we're motivated, but we don't know how to do anything. So we wanted to write a skills book, a book that had 10 skills so you can actually know how to do investing in real estate. That was the first reason. And the second reason was I had time because my office was pretty closed. Oh, okay. So, um, and you also dedicated to your uh, two sons, uh, Spencer and Ari. Um, why them? It's interesting that you asked that. Um, it starts off with you never know what you're going to be able to teach your kids. And Spencer and Ari are young. I, Spencer's going into third grade. He actually starts third grade this week. And Ari's only two. And you say to yourself, I wish I could teach my kids this. And you never know how long you're going to be around or what you're going to be able to talk to them about, or even if they'll ever be able to listen to you. Now, kids don't like to listen to their parents. So we said, you know what? Let's put the keys to success in a book. And to us, the keys to success is realizing that nothing happens through magic. Nothing happens because you have great luck. It can happen through magic. It can happen through great luck. But hard work, tenacity, 
is what gets you everywhere. So this book says really more important than the 10 skills we talk about. It says you need to have three things, our three pillars of success, which we call for real estate investing. But for Ari and Spencer, it's for life. You need to have self-confidence, grit, and skill. And if you have self-confidence, grit, and skill, you can do anything. And we want our kids to be able to accomplish just about anything. That's, that is great. That's very uh, inspirational. You know, it's, uh, um, I think that's, I, I thought about the, what you just said, because it's, uh, you have a chapter there uh, talking about things that you need, the, the three pillars. And to me, I just thought that was more existential than it was uh, real estate related. I mean, it could, it could apply to anything, you know, especially for uh, young people, you know, going through life. Well, I would say actually the whole book can really apply to everything. It's set in, in examples of real estate because it's something people can touch and they can understand and they can feel. But let's just go into a, a specific skill just to give you an idea. Sure. There's a skill that's about breaking positions. That's skill number four, chapter seven. And breaking positions talks about how to make someone you're discussing something with change their opinion. You said I should be a marriage counselor as a joke to start this thing. But one of the skills we talk about is mirroring. And mirroring is when you paraphrase with a question mark what the other person's saying. In plain English, it's saying, John, I hear what you're saying and you're being heard. If people just took that skill in life, we'd have less friction. There's always so much talking over each other. So really, the entire book has skills for life, whether it's something like breaking positions, whether it's the three pillars of success, or even chapter 14, tying it all together in a business plan. You might say, hey, how does a business plan, how does tying everything together and drafting your plan to start investing apply to life? It applies to life because you should have intentional action instead of things happening through happenstance. We should always be saying to ourselves, all right, I've thought about it. I've outlined it. I've set goals, objectives, and I'm ready to do it. This book is really a book about life like most business books really are. Yeah, that's, that is great. Um, you know, with inventories at such a, a low position right now and they're pushing prices higher, do you think this is a good time to invest? So it's very interesting you ask that. Is it a good time to invest? Personally, I just sold an investment property last week, and I think it's getting to the peak of the seller's market. And I think the market's going to shift in a while. Now, I want to say when I say that, you and I are in Long Island, and we're talking about ex-suburban areas, ex-suburbs or suburban areas. We're not talking about cities because there's all different things in all different places. As you know, New York City has already rebounded to be beating San Francisco as the highest rent city already. And that's after six months ago where they were giving apartments away with a free microwave oven. So it's a whole different place depending on where you are. But why I think it's important to be thinking about this now is investment isn't just when you buy, it's timing when you buy. So we need to become liquid or illiquid in the right times. I'm going to tell you what, John, in 2022 is when I'm going to be purchasing. Why? Because all these foreclosure and eviction moratoriums are going to be over. They're going to flood the market with supply. And on sheer fundamentals alone, John, we're going to see economics change pricing. When you have more supply and constant demand, you see that pricing goes down. And we've already seen 
beyond fundamentals. Consumer sentiment is people keep asking on Google, they say, when is there going to be the foreclosure and eviction crisis? Which means that we're seeing market trends change just on emotional drivers as well, John. Yeah, and that's a lot of times that's what drives the market is emotion, isn't it? I think it's a composite of both of them. So emotion is really a, a driver and then fundamentals tell you if it's sustainable. So you can have anything bump up and down on a curve on just sheer market forces. But when you look at long-term, and I like long-term conversations on this, we look at what's actually going on underneath. And I would say when you have the millions and millions and millions of people on default on their mortgage, and millions and millions and millions of tenants who aren't leaving their houses. When you have that all change and tenants leave and then landlords say, I can sell it, not just sight unseen, I can sell it, I can spruce it, I can show it, and I want to be out of this business now. And you have the people that are doing short sales and REOs in foreclosure. And you see all that flood the market you're going to see tremendous supply and buying opportunities. And I'm in cash right now. I will tell you that. I'm in cash right now because I'm thinking second quarter 2022, third quarter 2022, that's when we're going to see great buying opportunities. Great tips. I appreciate that. That's good. Um, yeah. yeah. So you have, and one of the things, one of your strategies uh, to purchasing uh, property is setting your bottom line. Can you uh, elaborate on that? I like the way you picked that one up. That's chapter four. And actually, it's the first skill. John, that if you read nothing else in my book, that's the one I want you to read. You could skip to it. It's page 38. You just jump there. It's worth reading. Why? Because you need to know the maximum amount of money that you're willing to pay for a property, whether it's residential for your own personal use, whether it's an investment property commercial, residential, industrial, you need to know what the maximum budget, your highest dollar is prior to even considering purchasing. In that chapter, we tell you there's three different things you need to be aware of. Number one, what's your emotional capacity? Do you even have the time, energy, motivation to be involved in this undertaking you're doing? Number two, What's your financial capacity? What's going on in your overall budget? Are you going to be sending your kids to college in the next few years? Are you going to have a major windfall of finances? Are you getting bought out of a job? What's going on and how does this purchase fit into your financial budget? And then number three, how do you appraise property in the first place? Do you understand cap rates for investment property? Do you understand comps? For residential property? Do you understand cost basis for new developments? How do you know what you're doing? And here's why, John, I said it's the most important topic. In life, getting a deal isn't winning. Getting the right deal is winning. And we show you how to find if this is the right deal for you. Very uh, well spoken. I have another question. Uh, You brought it up about the eviction. Uh, Where does the eviction moratorium stand right now? So, I'm going to tell you where it stands, but I want you to do it with a held breath. And why I say it like that is every two weeks, it seems like it changes. Federally, the eviction moratorium is thrown out. The CDC's national moratorium was thrown out. The U.S. Supreme Court threw it out. And why they throw it out? They said, basically, the CDC doesn't have what's called an enabling statute in plain English. The federal government, the president's executive branch, can't do something unless Congress gives them power. 
Congress hasn't given them power to do an eviction moratorium. New York's was previously also thrown out on the state level. But guess what? The new governor, Governor Hochul, she said, Congress, New York Congress, we need a new law. We need to protect for evictions. And she put in a new eviction moratorium that's going to go into 2022. Now, it's an open question if the U.S. Supreme Court or another court is going to uphold that into the future. It's also an open question whether the federal Congress will enact new moratoriums. So how did I start off with this? Don't hold your breath. What does that mean? You can't just know and forget when it comes to these moratoriums. What you need to do is keep on the page at all times. And if you don't want to do it yourself, all you have to do is you go to theleapcast.com, theleapcast.com, L-I-E-B, cast.com. And what we do is we have our own show like you do. And every week we break down we break down how current events impact business and real estate. And every week we'll keep you up to date of what's going on with the eviction moratorium. And by the way, on the leapcast.com, we also have a link to buy our book. Oh, great. Um, I was just thinking about the uh, out here in the Hamptons. I guess you're, you're aware that uh, the certain tenants, uh, even though they can afford, have not been paying you know their rents uh, and Landlords like uh, are the thought they could leave their pro they would leave their property instead they're holdover tenants. Uh, what's what's the status there? And the sense I that love that. I love that question, John. I'm so thankful for you asking that. You only have because thirty seconds to tell me. In twenty seconds, I'm going to answer you. Now, under New York's eviction moratorium, it's not really a moratorium. Landlords can challenge whether a tenant really has a hardship, demand a court to make a decision, and you can go forward with an eviction. Do not be mis mis misdirected. You can evict if your tenant can pay rent and chooses not to. You need to make an application to the court through a competent attorney. My law firm, Leave It Law, does this all the time. And you can go say, Judge, say they're fooling. Get them out, a victim. And John, on top of that, all these moratoriums don't say that rent's not due. You can always still sue for the rent. Great. How can someone get in touch with you if they have any questions? So if you want to buy the book, you go to Amazon. You go to Barnes & Noble. You type in 10 strategies to purchase property post-pandemic. It's the ultimate guide to real estate investing. If you can't do all that, just call oh, me, 631 878 okay. Four, four, five, five. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Andrew, for your uh, erudite uh, advice. And this is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the vibrant village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3. Stay tuned because we'll be right back with my next guest after the short break, Deirdre DeVita. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have one of the top producers west of the canal, Deirdre DeVita. Deirdre, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great today. You know, it's uh, it's great to have you back. Um, you know, it's I had you at the uh, beginning of the, uh, the season, and now that we've wrapped up the season, I'm sure you're going to give us some of your thoughts about what's happened in the meantime. But before we go there, let's... Um, Let's talk about you. Where were you born? <laughs> I am a native of the River Island of Manhattan. 
Manhattan, a city girl. Yes. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. And and so what happened uh, from from when you were your birth? Uh, what was your trajectory? <laughs> wow. Do we have a time limit on this? No, we don't. No. I just I always I always <laughs> no. find it interesting because you know you know somebody and everybody has another life before the the uh, real estate uh, world comes into to view. Yeah. So I was born in New York City and I lived there as a young child and then moved to Rye, New York, to Westchester. Um, but as soon as possible, I returned to the city. I pursued a career in ballet. I was a ballet dancer for 16 years. Wow, that's great. Now, let me ask you a question on ballet. When did you know that you wanted to be a ballerina? <laughs> I can't remember because I was so young. I made this decision when I was like three and what? I told my parents about it <laughs> and I never changed my mind. I don't think I was talking at three. So that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I, so it's weird because also to make a decision at, at that stage of life and then to really not reconsider it. I didn't reconsider it. I was very single minded about wanting to be a ballerina. And when my sister went to college, she's a year younger than I am. Um, I thought to myself for about 10 seconds, wow, I could have gone to college. And then I said, nope, want to be a ballerina. Now, she had no, uh, uh, you, that's basically like an Irish twin. Did you have, um, uh, did she have any desires to go into the dance world? None whatsoever. Wow. So it was just <laughs> you. Anybody else in your family that has, uh, you know, that, that dancing uh, capability that you have? Well, I have a family of very good dancers. Just, you know, if you, if you get them at a party, watch out. <laughs> But well, no one, no one who's pursued it, you know, in uh, the classical vein or in professionally. Uh, no. Right. Wow. Yeah. That is great. Um, just curiosity. I know, um, you know, it, it, you know, dance can wreak uh, havoc on uh, one's one's body. My my question is, if I guess my question is, what would you say to a parent that the child says, I want to be a dancer? I mean, would you what kind of advice would you give? I, I would encourage them to encourage their child because I think that dancing is such a great thing to have in your life to whatever extent you can have it. If you pursue it seriously, it's a great teacher because it's, it's reality in motion. <laughs> wow. And there are a lot of things about it that are hard. And I think that most difficult things about it are the mental things, you know, self-doubt, and that kind of, and the political things, once you're working, you know, getting parts and that kind of stuff. But dancing itself is something to be enjoyed if someone has the knack for it. And it's, it's taxing on the body, but it's also very good for the body. So I think the good offsets the bad on that. Interesting. Okay, good. That's very encouraging. Um, uh, so did you, what you've learned in dance, you think that that's uh, helped you in the real estate market to be successful? Oh, absolutely. Yes, because dance is very um, no excuses situation. You have to perform uh, at the exact moment and there's really nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Um, I was a freelance ballerina, so I was, I was paid by the hour for rehearsal and for, by the show for the performances. Um, and, what, and what that meant was I had no job security. I had to... I had to come through and, and be adding value to the scene or I just wasn't going to get rehired. And I think that that is a very uh, good lesson to learn 
Because I, I really remember thinking back then, even those who have security don't really have security. They just think they do. Right. And it's so true. And especially in the real estate world, uh, uh, newbies coming into the business, you know, they think it's, you know, it's a piece of cake. And, you know, real estate is really uh, can be grinding sometimes. Yeah. And, and like dance, you know, persistence pays off. You, you have to stay with it and just keep gaining um, experience and, and value and then um, sharing it with those you're working with. It, it takes a long time, but then it, then it all starts to pay off for you. Great. Yeah, great advice. Uh, we're wrapping up the uh, summer season, which I had said earlier. Did you notice any difference in the rental market as compared to uh, last year? <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a very strange rental season. Um, I found, and, and, and I've you know, talked about this with all of my colleagues and they seem to all agree. We were concerned there would not be enough inventory for rent um, for people who wanted it because of last season's big rush out here. Many people stayed for the year or at least retook their housing for summer of 21 after the summer of 2020. And um, we were concerned we wouldn't have any inventory. And, and sure enough, we, you know, that was true early in the season. But once we got into high times, you know, like right after Memorial Day, when you expect to see people making requests for July and August, things really screeched to a halt. And we still have unrented inventory that is good, um, which really surprised me. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, last year, did you have any uh, sight unseen rentals? Yes, I did. They were were sight unseen. Were they fun? fun? I said jokingly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's such a recipe for disaster, but the best I could do in cases like that would be a virtual, like a FaceTime call where I was showing people around. So at least they could ask me questions and, um, you know, say, oh, what's behind that door and what's over there. Um, But as they say, there's a Chinese expression, the map is not the territory. And, you know, once you show up and you see the lay of the land, sometimes it's different than you expect. So those they went all right for me, but it, it was a bit of a nail biter. Right. Understood. Understood. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is that how it's the sales for the, the past summer season as compared to the rental market. I mean, um, what's your thoughts? Sales on have been very good. Very good. Have they been quick? Well, yes, because the inventory is still low in the sales department and um, people who want a house have to act very decisively to get it. Um, I think about 40% of the deals at this point that I'm hearing of are, are bidding wars. It could be more in different price brackets. Um, so so it, was, it was a stressful time like last year for buyers because they had to act so decisively and, and face competition. Um, it was a good year. It was a good year for sellers. Great. So what are your thoughts about uh, going into the fall with sales and with rentals? You know, because now we one of the things I, I, I've heard is that um, normally we get a lot of people asking, you know, for rentals, um, you know, in the fall. And some of the agents have said they, that seems to have, uh, you know, been slack. What do you think? Yeah, I'm optimistic about the season ahead, you know, our autumn season is usually really good. And I'm feeling a little fresh momentum even now um, after a bit of a lull for a couple of weeks in high summer on the sales front. Um, 
I don't know about the rentals. I think that people, uh, um, I think people wanted to travel this year because they were able to, and that might've put a dent in it. <laughs> um, but we do, I have people still confessing to me at showings. And I say confessing because it feels like they're just pouring out their soul. Right. Uh, they're saying, you know, I'm not going back to the life I had before, before COVID, where it was rat race every day. I, I found a way to do a hybrid version of my life that allows me to be out here in the Hamptons and more and enjoy my, uh, I'm highly productive and I get to enjoy my family and I'm, I'm. I'm going to keep living this way. Well, it's true. The demand is definitely up. I mean, it's, it's causing uh, the prices to also escalate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any advice for uh, first time home buyers coming into the market? Well, I would say to them, be prepared, you know, um, talk with your agent uh, ahead of time about what to expect in the, in the market that you're in and the price range that you're in. Be prepared. Uh, to act quickly if you see something you like and try to get as much properties seen as you can so that you have a sense of relative value before you have to pounce on something. Definitely get a pre-approval for a mortgage as well if that's something you're thinking of having. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. I've had uh, a couple potential buyers that are outside, um, like in Florida or California, Um saying, oh, is that house available? And I say, yes, it is. And then they say, oh, well, you know, um, we'll be out. And I said, it's gone now. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm finding that every week. Oh, you have the same problem too, right? Yeah. Wow. People say, oh yeah, let's put a batch together. I'll be out in two weeks. And then by the time, <laughs> you know, they're out, 80% of the stuff is gone. Gone, right. It's, it's, it's still uh, happening. Yeah, it is. Um, so you gave advice for uh, buyers. What do you? Uh, what kind of advice do you give to sellers that are putting their house on the market? Well, you know, this is a stressful time for sellers too. All this competition is uh, makes um, these situations very heightened. And I consider a bidding war as good as it can be for a seller a tinderbox because it could also everyone could um, feel uh, leveraged and walk away. So I would say to them, you know, get a good analysis of the market value of your home in today's in market, you know, factoring in the upticks that we've seen over the past year and a half and, and make the most of your first moments on the market. That, that entry into the marketplace is very critical. Be priced right, have a beautiful presentation and get exposure and activity right away. That may bring you an offer in short order that doesn't mean your house is underpriced. It means the, the formula worked. Right, right. Um, do you ever have a seller saying to you, you know what, um, and you get a, a, a couple uh, bids on the property saying to you, do you think we underpriced the house? Have you had that? Yes, I've had that not only this season, but, you know, throughout my career. And, and, those are when I list a house, I really take my obligation of finding the best and highest price for my seller very seriously. So I've in cases when that's happened, I've I've tried to talk them out of, of rejecting those good offers that come in initially. And usually we've been able to manage it, especially in past years where it would take 10 days or so, a week or 10 days to get to contract, which was a chance for more exposure for the property. And when they saw that nothing else was coming in, they started to recognize the value of, of what had come first over the wall. 
Gotcha. If uh, somebody had uh, more questions for you, how could they reach you? They could reach me at deirdre.devita at sotheby's.realty. Is there a phone number they can reach you to? Of course, I've got that too. My trusty cell phone, 212. <laughs> Still got my New York City number from decades ago, 580-3969. Great. Deirdre DeVita, it's been a delight and a pleasure having you on the program again. We'll have you back again, I'm sure. And this is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. WLIW 88.3 FM. If you'd like to hear this program again or any other podcast, go to WLIW.org forward slash radio to listen. Speaking of listening, thank you again for your time and have a safe journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio. Mm-hmm.